Hi everyone. So as I stated in the trailer, we are going to talk about uh, Sonia Nieto's book, Affirming Diversity, and chapter two that we read that is about language. And we're going to reflect on it and see what her main point was of this chapter and how we can use what she uh, shares with us to change our practices in the classroom to make our classroom more inclusive and to encourage um, the individuality of each child in our class so they have a great self-concept. And I think, so getting started, I think the main point that I got from the chapter two was that language and culture are very intertwined. Both language and culture are constantly changing, especially in our rapid growing um, environment here. And I think it's important for us as teachers and educators to identify all of the um, different cultures and heritages in our classroom, all of our different children's backgrounds, and really try and understand their backgrounds and where they're coming from, um, learn about them, ask them you know, what they want to learn, ask them what they want to be called and how they want to be treated, and uh, make sure that we're really being aware and supportive of each child. Um, And I think our terminology that we use in the classroom is extremely important. As um, Sonia Nieto pointed out in her chapter on page 14, she stresses the terminology that's used in the classroom. Um, Because what we say in the classroom and how we respond to families and people in our community needs to be appropriate and precise. And it has to be what they want to be called. We can't use just any term that we think is fine because some terms are offensive and negative and they really put down a certain population and oppresses them further. Um, Even if our intent is good, it's, you know, if it's not malicious, it's still not okay to use a big overarching term to, to talk about a certain population. We have to educate ourselves Um, Even as educators, we have to do the research of what, you know, what is appropriate right now and what is the most precise term so that the children are also learning the right things to say. And they're also getting a great self-concept that they feel like they're being heard and respected and they feel like they're being included in the classroom and that they're just not some isolated group that's not a part of our our class or our community. Um, I also think that it's it's really important for us as teachers to not only think in this language term, but to have a, a huge worldview, um, especially in the time right now, you know, where we're going through the Black Lives Matter um, movement. I think it's important for us to know that diversity is not only important um, and that these diverse populations we have in our classroom are valuable. But we have to know how to capitalize on their strengths. Um, because we always heard the idyllic term, um, you know, the American dream. And if you come to America and you work hard and you apply yourself, you're going to make it. You're going to succeed. But the reality for many groups in our country is that's not true. Even with hard work and, you know, <laughs> applying yourself and trying your hardest, Sometimes you still won't succeed because the odds are so far stacked against them. Um, And I think teachers have the ability to fight this. 
And we as teachers have to provide hope for our diverse student, students and make sure we're giving them the tools they need to actually succeed. Um, and I, and it's been a hard thing for me, I will say, because, you know, I'm a white female um, coming from a, a lower to middle class um, range here. And it's uncomfortable sometimes. It's uncomfortable to ask these questions. It's uncomfortable to talk about it. Um, but I think, you know, diversifying our friend group, you know, encouraging diversification in schools is important and making sure that we're respecting these things and we're building upon that. Um, you know, I became a teacher initially to, to make a difference. You know, I saw it as a job where I, I felt good about myself and I was help teaching people and, building these relationships. But after reading this, you know, I really do see teachers as powerful. I see us as a way to change these sociopolitical views of certain races. Um, and I think it's important for us to uh, help advocate for those whose voices are lost or oppressed or both. Um, and in order to do this, we have to become culturally attuned and use appropriate language and teaching practices to make sure we're respecting and honoring our students and their individuality um, and that we're asking them to share their experiences uh, and, you know, asking them to share their language with us. Because I even this year, I had um, several different children whose first language was not English. I had one child whose first language was Spanish. I had two, actually, I had two children whose first language was Spanish. Then I had one child whose first language was Portuguese, and one child whose first language was Hindi, and one child whose first language was Czech, because they're from Czech Republic. And all of these families, um, I asked them to share about their experiences in their culture, because many of them just moved here to America recently, and I'm a pre-K teacher, so I'm already working with a very young population, and I think it's important for us as teachers to recognize that and to play on their strengths and to ask them to come in and share it with us. Um, I actually did a home visit with every child in my class where I drove to their house and I set a time with them that worked, and we actually just sat down. I sat down and talked with the parents first, and then I met with each child and played with them and asked them questions, read books with them. And basically, this time was just um, was really special because I got to know them. I got to see their family dynamic. I got to see their household. I got to see what foods they ate, what music or TV was on, um, or lack of TV, um, and, and it really helped me to understand where they were coming from. And also I feel like the parents loved it because I was reaching out to them. I was making myself, um, easily accessible. I was trying to build a relationship with them and in turn that made them feel more comfortable with me. And so later on during the year, they actually were more able and interested in coming and talking to me if there was an issue or, you know, something to celebrate. Um, and, and I always also try and talk to my families about all the positives that are happening in the classroom. You know, I don't want to just bring up negative things. I want to keep things positive. And, you know, obviously there are going to be struggles with every child, you know, during the school year. But I think it's important for us to kind of sandwich it together and make sure parents know that, you know, we're on their side. We're here to support them. 
We're here to collaborate with them and that this is teamwork. You know, they have to be working at home as well. Um, and if they can't, we have to try and support them as much as possible. So the children are still getting what they need. Um, and for many of my ELL students, I tried to make everything in the classroom uh multicultural. So the dolls I had in our dress up center were multicultural and represented each group that we had in our classroom, or at least looked like each group in the classroom. Um, I had multicultural music, multicultural books. Um, even I had dress up clothes that came from different cultures. Um, and so some of them, obviously some children knew and some of them were new to them. So that kind of helped spark conversations in the classroom about different cultures and different countries and and the languages they speak. And even at a young age, these children took in that information and connected it with something in their life. And it was interesting to them and they learned a lot from it. Um, and so I think in the classroom, I took a lot from this, this chapter by Sonia Nieto. She, she really stresses the fact that race alone does not define us. That was something I highlighted on page 17 of her chapter two. Because that's something for us to really pinpoint. <laughs> a lot of the times, you know, all of these, these groups get grouped in together. So they might say, oh, all Mexicans. And there could be someone from Mexico and there could be someone in your class from Ecuador, but yet they both speak Spanish. And sometimes people, you know, just kind of make the assumption that they're all Mexicans. And so that's something we have to stop. And another example is when we use the term black. Um, a child in your class could be from Africa or they could be from Nigeria um, or they could be from Harlem. And yes, they are black. They look like that by their race alone, but that doesn't give any expansion on their history or their culture it can be completely different things, differing things. So I think it's important for us to be extremely precise and appropriate and make sure we're talking to the parents and the children and asking them, what do you want to be called? What is the most precise term? How can I help you? And, you know, what can I do to help kind of break that achievement gap that we're seeing here in America. Um, and those were some questions that I found really um, interesting on page 15 of Sonia Nieto's book. Um, you know, making the choices in our classroom is important as teachers. And we have to realize that what we do and what we say really have true consequences on a whole population, not just one child or our classroom, but our whole entire school and our entire community and the world as a whole. So we have to think large and we have to really try and be aware and make changes to the way we're speaking because our biases get in the way a lot of the times. And, and I am guilty of that. I've sometimes made assumptions or, you know, come in with a certain attitude or a bias about, um, a certain culture. And, and that's really affected the relationship I've had with other children. And so it's important for me to try and drop those and to be aware of them first and foremost, but then also to try and um, understand how to break those down. So we don't have a barrier. Um, and so we're able to make these relationships with each child and, and hopefully help strengthen their, their abilities throughout the year. Um, and as far as ELLs, you know, I try and make a difference with all my students 
And I think for ELLs, it's important to, you know, respect and honor them. Um, and to make sure that we are listening to them. And not only are we listening to them, but we're reacting to them positively. And so there's many ways you can incorporate culturally responsive teaching into the classroom. Um, but one, what some of the things I like to do in my classroom, you know, especially for ELLs, is labeling the classroom with multicultural images and with words in each student's first language. So like I said, I had Spanish um, and I also had Czech. I had Hindi. And I, I think it's important for us to label things for them. And the unfortunate thing for children at my age is they're not reading yet. But I try and put always with the label a picture or, you know, some kind of clip art that helps describe it. So that way, even younger children can read it in a way that makes sense to them. Um, and then they'll be able to relate it back to their culture. And I try and even learn a little bit of the base language. You know, I'll at least try and learn a few words of hello, stop, please, thank you, help. You know, different things like that, especially for my younger groups who, you know, have trouble expressing their wants and needs anyways. Um, and then another way I try and relate um, culturally responsive teaching practices to English language learners is by um, displaying every student's work. So we do a lot of art in our class because my school that I work at is very play-based, but um, I always display everyone's work with their name and I, I let them do it in their own way. I, I don't always push my way and I kind of let the students take lead a lot of the time. And I think that really helps them to gain independence and also to help, you know, improve their self-efficacy. But I display their work. And then I always, like I said at the beginning of the year, do home visits. But I also provide a lot of authentic opportunities for parents to come in and share with me. Um, like one of my family's from India, they celebrated Diwali and they came in and they did a celebration with us. They actually brought in some items from their house, did a, a prayer and read a book. Um, and they talked to everybody about, you know, why they celebrate and what is different. It's the light festival. And the children came away with so much knowledge from that. And of course, the little girl whose family came in to do it was so happy and she felt so welcomed and a part of the classroom and in our community. And the, I try and incorporate activities like that all throughout the year. Um, but also we have at our school several opportunities for parents to have parent training. Um, so even if they're from a different country or don't speak our, you know, English, then they are able to come in and learn about ways to help their child succeed. Um, and then they also present with different services that are available to them in the community that they can reach out to if they need help. And of course, if they're not comfortable, we always stress that they are, they are totally able to come to us, me as the teacher or our director at our school and the principal to express their needs and ask if they need help. Um, and I think it's also important to be involved in your community. So as a teacher, I try and go to all of the events at our school, but I also go to events in the community. Um, I've gone to like a pumpkin carving thing and I've invited families to come. I've gone to a couple of their soccer games and that some of the children have invited me to. 
Um, we always have our classroom celebrations, but I also um, invite the, them at the beginning of the year to kind of like a little meet and greet where we meet at a park, kind of like in the middle of everything. So everyone kind of has a similar drive. And that's just a great time for the kids to get to know each other and for the parents to get to know me very casually. So they're comfortable. Um, and that's always been fun. And then I also, on my own, I volunteer and I encourage the parents to volunteer. And if they're able to donate to different uh, societies and charities in our area that help benefit our local community. Um, we always do a, a drive during the Christmas time. And we always do an end of the year drive for Tex- North Texas Giving Day. And I encourage families to help participate in this too if they can. And if they can't, I encourage them to go in their community. And if they have some free time, you know, meet with local families who might need help or who might need a role model, um, especially if you're in the same, you know, culture group. And I encourage them, you know, to volunteer wherever they can with whatever they're interested in. And so it's important for not only me to do that, but to uh, encourage the families to do that, to help better our community. Um, cause I found that the, the parents enjoy that and the students do too. And they appreciate it because they see that you're trying to, uh, influence society and make it better for everybody. Um, but all in all, I think teachers directly influence our students and we have to know what we're doing is right. And we have to do our best to make connections and, make sure that we are focusing on the strengths of our, our children in our class. Um, and I think it's also important to understand everyone's differences, even slight ones, and because we don't want the children to lose their unique characteristics and their historical frames of reference. Because um, in the past, I've had students who, you know, come from a different country and speak a different language. They come in and their parents... They want to push them to be as, you know, American as possible. The ideal of American, like we speak English, we uh, we have all these opportunities. And I encourage them to drop that because America is the melting pot. And we have to make sure that our children do not lose that special and uniqueness in them. Um, and so I encourage them to continue speaking their first language at home. And to continue sharing with us, you know, their, some of the foods that they like, some of the music they like, books, um, and come in and not only do that in the classroom, but also just do it at home. You know, make sure that their children are still settle, celebrating their, their diversity and their heritage. Um, so they know that they're special and they're unique and they're completely themselves. And they should be comfortable enough to share that with their, with their friends and their families and their community. Um, and so I just try and take responsibility uh, for myself and for my class to challenge so- social norms, um, both in our school and in our environment and classroom and, and society as a whole. And so I think Sonia's point here is amazing because we really want the language we use to provide our children with a lot of support. And if we use a word or a term that isn't so um, kind and 
appropriate. The children can really lose thought and, and they can kind of go into themselves and, and feel embarrassed or feel different or isolated. And so I think it's important for us to, you know, encourage um, diversity and encourage them to speak out and celebrate their heritage by um, inviting them all the time and, you know, using significant proper terms to speak to them and um, their other classmates. So I hope you all um, have enjoyed this podcast and um, are able to take some of it back to your classroom. I think the most important thing uh, that we can get from this is to understand our power as teachers and to make sure we're allowing each student to be comfortable, to share, and to grow, and to realize their potential, um, and to encourage them to strive for their goals. Because yes, we have to be truthful, and we have to be actual, but we also have to remain hopeful. I mean, as, as of right now, the current society in America is really tough, and it's, it's hard for everyone, but especially for our diverse groups. So it's important for us to remain hopeful and to push for change, to vote for change, and to put that in place in our classrooms and to try and make our classrooms diverse and inclusive and encourage the use of proper language in our classrooms. So our ELLs and and all other children um, understand that identity and the power in that. So thank you so much. Um, Hope you enjoy. Thanks.